probably the most difficult part of transitioning from being the worship leader to the preacher is this preparation time. It feels like there's that lag, but at the same time, let's just do this. Let's all take us up one great big deep breath of the Holy Spirit. Breathe it in. Breathe it out. Let me ask you a question. How did you get here this morning? I mean, I know that there are, yeah. All right. I knew that when I asked that question that there was going to be some smart Alex out there. We were like, I do that here in the car. I walked. Yeah. But, but really, this is what I want to think about and talk about this morning. I'm sitting here trying to do the months instead of the books of the Bible. I'm January, February, Mark. <laughs> Struggle is real. The book of January. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Mark. Book of January. It's a very depressing month. Oh, I'm on that side of the page. All right, I'm set. We'll just edit all that out for all the people at home online. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm going to take some time to talk about that question. How did you get here? I mean, really think about it. How, how did you get here? What led you to come to this community of faith? What led you to come to this place in life, into Pullman, Washington, in 2017, um, whatever today is. It's a Sunday, but I don't know what the date is. It's all just a blur anymore. It's the, it's the day of Mark, the month of Mark. Um, what, what is it that brought you to where you're at, at this place in life, at this time, to choose the things you were choosing to be here this morning? What, what is it? That's what we're going to ponder this morning. There's a story in my family about my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, uh, they lived in Connecticut, and he struggled with uh, allergies, I think. You know, it says he had, he had a weak chest, which is, you know, nowadays we just say, you just need to take an Allertech or something. So he had this weak chest, and the doctor said, you know what? You live in a wet, soggy area, so why don't every year, if your family could just go someplace warm and dry, it'll help clear it up. We do this with our son every year. They're going to spring break. They're going to the west side to get away from the allergies here. They're going to go somewhere else. So every year they would hook up the wagon with their horses and they would all pile in the wagon and they travel from Connecticut to Texas and, and go there so that their kid could, you know, breathe. One year, my great, 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 great grandmother died on the trip there. She was sick and ill along the way, probably typhoid or something crazy like that. And she died in the wagon. And my grandfather, he was so distraught and so upset about it, he just climbed into the back of the wagon. He was sick too. He just wanted to lay down and die. He just told the boys, just take us home. And they're like, well, Dad, we don't know how to get home. And he says, you know, the horses know the way. The horses know the way home. Just let them walk. Well, it turns out the horses didn't know their way. And that's how like five generations of my family wound up in Louisiana. Okay. I don't know if it's a true story or not. I mean, I do have family from Connecticut, and they did go to Texas, and they lived in Louisiana for five generations. Knowing my extended family, it's very probable. I mean, you guys know me well enough that, yeah, that's something that would happen to you. Yeah. Well, this seems nice. We'll just stay here. Everyone's got a story, right? Everybody has a story of how they ended up where they are, what brought you to this place. For some of you, your faith story, it begins with some dedicated parents who prayed for you day and night, who took you to church every week, who introduced you to Jesus. For some of you, it was maybe a grandfather or a grandmother who raised you up because you had a broken home. Or maybe it was a, a kind neighbor that took you to church. We had a kind neighbor. Actually, he wasn't even a neighbor. didn't live anywhere near us. This guy would drive a full-size school bus 
20 miles one way at 6 o'clock in the morning to pick me and my sister and my mother up so we could go to church every week. My story begins with that guy. Or at least part of my story begins with that guy. We all have friends and circumstances that bring us to this moment, to this place. The story that God dropped into my heart this week to share with you is a very, very familiar one. But I don't want you to think of it just as another Bible story or as just another, you know, piece of text that we hear over and over again. We heard it in Sunday school 19 times. We've heard at least one sermon a year on this text. This is somebody's faith story. This is how somebody got from where they were to where they are in Jesus. It is a powerful story. And it's about a man who is paralyzed completely. He has no motion in his hands, his legs, his arms. We don't really know how he came to be that way. In those days and ages, in the time of Jesus, like work accidents happened every day. People fall off a ladder, they're building temples, and bricks fall, and suddenly you're paralyzed. And nobody cared. There was no workman's comp. There was no L&I claims to be made. You just were paralyzed. I'm sorry, pal. Why don't you're going to have to go beg now. And that's this position he was in. He may have been born from childhood this way. It may have been a bad birth. They didn't have doctors in this day and age. So just, you know, the neighbor would come over and say, I got some hot towels and, you know, that's it. There's your doctor. Good luck. Have a baby. And if the baby comes out wrong, well, it just does. So he's paralyzed. But one day, everything changed for this guy because Jesus came back to town. That's what the scripture says. Jesus came back to town. Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you this story instead of just reading it, and I'm going to read portions of it right out of the text so you can kind of follow along. They'll be up on the screen behind me. So apparently, this paralyzed man had some friends around that cared about him, some people that knew him. He had four guys that when word got to them that Jesus was back in town, and it says back in town because this is where Jesus was from. He was from the region of Nazareth near Capernaum. This might have been his very town, or at least right nearby. And Jesus was a a carpenter growing up. He and his dad would do woodwork. So it's possible that he had traveled even to this town to do some of the woodwork. And who knows, maybe even this paralyzed man, maybe it was his parents. Like, they needed their door fixed, or they needed a new table. There's this chance, but there's so few people living in this region that they had actually even met before Jesus, before this moment, before Jesus was who we see Jesus as now. So he's back in town, and his four friends heard about it, and they said, we've got to get this guy there. They picked him up by his mat, and they carried him through the streets to get him to Jesus, because they believed if they could get him to Jesus, then there was hope that everything could change. Say that word with me, hope. Hope. Hope is a powerful word. And it's a word that's kind of getting trampled on a lot nowadays. We, We put our hope in politics. We put our hope in finances. We put our hope in elections. We put our hope... In, in a job or a degree. But in this story, there is only one hope, and it's Jesus. But when they got to the house, they found that the whole town had showed up. It's right from the text, verse 1. It was reported that he was at home. This may have even been Mary's house. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Everybody wanted to hear Jesus. The man on the mat was probably not too disappointed. He was probably not too overly broke up because, you know, he's a paralyzed guy. What do you expect? He's the bottom of society. There's there's not a lot of hope for him. So life up to this point hadn't been full of hope, so he hadn't put much hope into the moment. Why should it change now? But his friends held on to hope, and they would not be stopped. 
they got a ladder. They went around the back of the house. And, and I can just imagine the man's protest. Can you imagine him being in the mat and he's like being dragged around on the ground? His rocks are hitting him in the head as they're dragging him. They get him to the house and he looks at the ladder going up the side of the building to the roof. And he's like, what good is this going to do us? How, you can't take me up there. I, I'm going to be on, I can't climb, you know. And they drag him somehow up this thing. And they get him up there, plop, drop him down on the roof. And he's thinking, now what, right? Now what? Now what are you going to do? How is this going to help? And the guys, they start looking around. They're like, okay, okay, the kitchen's kind of over there. And, you know, maybe there's a bedroom back over this way. Jesus is probably right about here. And they dive down on their hands and knees, and they start to dig and to tear with their hands. You know, they're getting dirt and stuff into their fingernails. Now, in these days, the roofs of their homes were made in multiple, multiple layers. It was sticks with mud and moss and grass and sheep dung. You know, you like, you like that? You know, like there's sheep dung in the roof as insulation and then more layers of stick and mud and it was all just compacted together with dirt and mud until it was this solid heavy mass full of poo and dirt and all this stuff until it would hold out water okay would keep the water out so these guys are digging and they're starting with the long sticks and they've started and then they're like they're literally digging through it you know the cow patties and the sheep patties and they're digging through this stuff and then the text says they removed the roof above him and when he had made an opening they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, I can't quite imagine this moment. I mean, because, you know, an average roof is maybe eight feet. These guys dig through, and they've got the guy, and they, they lean down, and they're leaning as far as they can, right? But they're, like, they're looking at each other, and they see, it's like, still four feet to go. What are we going to do? What, what are we going to do about this? And one guy looks at the other guy, and he's like, okay, on the count of three. On the count of three, what? Let go. Why? He, he's paralyzed. It's not going to get any worse. So you know, it's like... One, two, three, hope Jesus can heal your bum. You know, pop, and it drops him, and plop, there he is in front of Jesus. Boom. That moment, he lands right in front of Jesus. Goal! And then Mark, the author of the book of Mark, it's kind of obvious, he writes this, remembering this story. And when Jesus saw their faith, not the faith of the paralytic, he's probably lying on the ground going, I can't breathe. Jesus is not looking down at that guy. He's looking up at the roof at these four faces poking out out of the dark sky. Their faces just dimly lit by the candles below. They see their faces and he looks at them and he smiles. And it says because of their faith, he says to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now at that point, the guys on the roof are like, what, what did he say? Did he say you're healed? Why isn't he up? He's not walking. I don't know. Shh, I can't hear you know, that, what, that's not what we were expecting. Jesus knows what he's doing, right? You guys think Jesus knows what he's doing? I'm not sure how I'd have felt in that moment. I'm like, did you see Jesus? I just drug this guy up the stairs. I've got sheep dung in my hand, fingernails. It's going to take me months to get this cleaned out. we got my friend down there, and you just said be healed? And in the moment, there was other people in the room, some scribes, some teachers of the law, some religious rulers. These guys are pastors. So I identify with these guys. Just the pastors of town had come together. You got, you got the pastor from the Baptist Church, and the pastor from the Assemblies Church, pastor from the Foursquare Church. You've got the Episcopal priest is there, the Catholic priest is there, and they're all hanging out. And, and Jesus just said, "Son, your sins are forgiven." And in their heart, it says, some of them began to question. They didn't say anything out loud. They just thought it. You could like literally see it on their face. But what did he say? 
why does he speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Apparently Jesus can. (laughs) Apparently Jesus can. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had questioned within themselves, he saw it on their faces, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytics, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and take your bed and walk? I don't know about you, but both of those things are pretty difficult for me. You know, in my own thing, you know, I can say to you all, it's, it's easy to say, but not very effective, right? Jerry, your sins are forgiven. I've forgiven all of them. Didn't work. You still, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's got to deal with that with God, right? That's not me. I can't forgive him. I mean, I can forgive him the things he's done to me, but in myself, I can't forgive every sin. It's not my power. I can't say to somebody in my power, get up and walk. So this is what these guys are thinking. They're like, well, I don't know which is easier because neither one of them have been very effective for me. That's God's job. But when Jesus says either one, when he either says your sins are forgiven or he says get up and walk, it's the most magical moment ever because things happen. There is hope. There is life. There is healing and there is freedom when Jesus speaks these things. And so he says this, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately, I love how Mark is so nonchalant, and immediately he picks up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we've never saw anything like this. That's like the worst English ever. We never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything happen like this. This has never taken place before. How can this be? Jesus, I pray this morning that you would increase our faith. That we would have a sense of expectation and hope as we stand in your presence and we bear the burdens of this world as we carry people before you. That we would have faith for our friends and that we would have the faith of these four friends in this story as we follow you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Man, what a story that guy had, right? Can you imagine afterward meeting that guy? It never says anything about it in the Bible, but he just kind of like nonchalantly gets up and walks out, and that's the end of his story. But I can imagine it would be like, you know, five minutes later, this guy is probably glowing. The next day, he's probably back to work. People are like, what are you doing here? Ten years from that point, people are like, hey, that's old Bob over there. You know Bob's story. You know what happened to him. Old Bob over there, he met Jesus, and he started walking. It was crazy. He couldn't walk before, but now he can. People be talking about that story forever and ever, and you know what? 2,000 years later, guess what we're doing today? We're talking about old Bob's story, right? Powerful story he had. How did you get here? What's your story? The only reason he was there The only reason that any of us are here is because somebody cared enough to bring us to Jesus. Somebody cared enough. The only reason that this church exists is because 2,000 years ago, old Bob got up off a mat and walked, and somebody told that story, and somebody else believed that story, and they got up off a mat and walked. And somebody else heard another story and were touched and healed and saved and their sins were forgiven. And, and one day a group of people got together and they planted a church in Greece. And they, when Paul's coming through and that church in Greece is 
growing and thriving and then people are coming to faith and their stories are being changed and they go out. And 2,000 years later, in 1980, a group of young people come together and they were going to go to Mount St. Helens, this town near Mount St. Helens, Battleground, Washington, and Mount St. Helens blew up and they said, well, we can't plant a church there. There's not even a town. We've got to go somewhere else. I know. Let's go to Pullman. And they come to Pullman because their stories had been changed, because Jesus had met them, and they came here and they planted this church. And this church is here because somebody cared. You each have a story, a reason that you were here. And these stories are all intertwined in this beautiful tapestry that's called the church. And all of us have this thing in common, that we have met Jesus, that we have been forgiven of our sins, and that we have been healed, and that he is changing and transforming us. We're talking about engage, to engage. It means to attach or to connect with something by moving from a passive involvement to an intentional investment. We talked about our faith last week. How, like, you know, we can make a passive involvement. We just come to church or, you know, I own a Bible, so I'm a Christian. You know, or I call myself a Christian and that's what makes me a Christian. Or, you know, that's a passive involvement in the church. Or I can come and, like, be engaged. I can... I can invest my life. I can invest my finances. I can invest my time. I can invest my faith in things. I can dig into the word and I can grow as God pours his faith in me. I can change. As I was praying about this, though, I I saw that God wasn't just talking about our faith um, in terms of our relationship with him, that God wants us to engage with him, but I also feel like God's engaging and calling us to engage with our neighbors and our friends who need Jesus. God is calling us to be like the four friends, to go find some mats to pick up, some roofs to tear down, and some people to drop in front of him, to do everything that we can, every intentional step we can take to reach our friends for Jesus. What does that really mean for us, though? Firstly, I think it means this, is that we have to believe for the impossible. Let's just get this out in the open for starters, that nothing is impossible for God ever, You know, that's impossible for God, said nobody who really knew God ever, right? Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. Okay, can he build a, make a rock that he can't lift? Okay, thank you, Mr. Philosophy Major, for that snarky comment. Of course God can't build a rock that he can't lift because it violates the very nature of what God is and who God is. So maybe that's impossible. But outside of that, outside of the rock, right? Outside of that rock, there is nothing that is impossible for God. But this isn't just a statement of his power and strength. It's a statement of his authority. If you read through the text in Mark, this word authority keeps coming up so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. By what authority does he forgive sins? Who is this man? This word authority is so important to the text. Jesus has the authority, not just the power, but the authority to command nature and to command the spiritual world, to command things to change, to command hope to arise, to command chains to be broken. He has the authority. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. And he can actually do this and do it with our very best at heart and mind because everything he does, he does in love. A huge part of the story is about his authority. The miracle that happens here is just to prove that he has the authority. The man is brought to Jesus broken, but he walks away healed in ways that he can't even understand. You guys see that? He came in thinking, I'm going to maybe get healed of my paralysis, but he got his sins, his spiritual need. The deepest part of who he is was what was touched in that moment. He was healed inside and out, 
And he got up off that mat, walking away, and he didn't even grasp what had happened to him. The religious elite elite were saying in their hearts, he can't forgive sin. Everyone else is thinking paralyzed people don't walk. It's all impossible. And everybody was stunned when the impossible happened because Jesus said, rise up off your mat and walk. Do you guys believe that Jesus heals and saves? Do you believe it? Sorry, I just had a moment where I flashed back to one of those guys from Seinfeld. I don't remember what his name is. It's it's gone. If you've been in the church for, that's it, Kramer. You know, if you've been in the church for a while, it may be for you, and I know that I borderline on this. It's like this, it's like this precipice that I come up and I teeter on all the time. Okay, I believe that Jesus heals and saves. I believe it. But I believe it more in my head than in my actions. I believe it more as a theological statement than I believe it practically. Because we live in a world where we don't see this stuff happen, right? We hear stories maybe in Africa. Or we hear stories maybe at Bethel in California. Or we hear stories from Hillsongs or Elevation Church or wherever. These things happening in these great big places where this great big move of God is happening. But we're not a part of that move of God. We don't see those things happen. I told you last week that that is a great big lie from the pit, right? We are a move of God. Jesus is changing us. You and me individually, collectively together, we are a move of God. But I don't see it happening. And when I look at the world around me, I see that people aren't really interested in this message. They don't want to hear about Jesus healing and saving. They don't want to know. But I believe it. I believe it here, and I want to believe it here. I want to believe it with my heart. I want to engage it in my heart. I want to act on it. Many of us, are we've been shaped. Our idea of God has been shaped by unforgiving and unkind people. So it's difficult for us to, to believe with all of our heart that God is a a kind and loving and forgiving person. Some of us have been shaped by people who are aloof, who who don't pay attention to us, who who are just into their book or their work or they're gone all the time. I I heard a story recently of a pastor who was just this amazing man of God, but he was this hard worker and he would work on people's farms and then he'd write sermons and he was just gone all the time. And it was so absent from his father, from his kids that, that all of his kids grew up, they didn't know their father and they didn't know who God was and they didn't trust that God was good. And most of them went just sideways, completely sideways. We've got this idea shaped, and we, we think, yes, theologically speaking, God heals and God saves, but my experience says this, and God maybe seems more this way. Can I just say this? How we engage with Jesus, how we believe about Jesus, how we think about who Jesus is, it matters tremendously. That's a direct quote from Audrey Fontaine, who's in here somewhere. I saw him. He just said that. He goes, how we engage with Jesus matters tremendously. There you are. You're over there hiding. He was, you were literally hiding behind her hair. You were ducking. I saw you. How we engage with Jesus matters tremendously. What we believe, not just what we think, matters. And what, when we believe that Jesus can and is eager to forgive my sin, to forgive your sin, to heal my sicknesses, to heal your sicknesses, then we begin to see that that love, that offer of grace and forgiveness, of mercy, of healing, All of these things extend to the whole world. It's not just for me. It's not just for me. And when I see a miracle in my own life, when I see, oh my gosh, my sins are forgiven. Oh my gosh, God did show up this way and this this way this week. 
he did this thing. I prayed this prayer and God answered it in this way. And we start seeing this stuff. Our mind begins to explode and we start seeing, oh my gosh, this isn't just for me. This is something I got to share. And we just start thinking like, whoa, what about that barista that I see every day? She needs this. What about, what about that kid on the soccer team who's just turned himself inward and he just kind of stands there on the field and it's not that he doesn't like soccer but his parents are screaming at him that kid needs Jesus what about what about my next door neighbor who, who just seems to go through life and sad or trying hard that, that guy needs Jesus what about my tax lady the tax lady definitely needs Jesus okay well, what about my professors these guys that seem to know so much and yet seem so empty These people need Jesus. And I believe that where Jesus is, there is hope. There is hope. I know it seems impossible. There's just too many barriers in this culture. Disinterest, fear, skepticism, complete disbelief. But what do you believe? It doesn't matter what they believe about Jesus. You get that from the story? It didn't matter what the paralytic believed about Jesus. It didn't matter. It mattered what the four friends believed about Jesus. It was their faith that prompted Jesus' heart. Do you see that? The faith of the friends moves the heart of Christ. You have power, friends. You have power, friends. Your faith moves the heart of God. I know it seems impossible, but I want to call us as we engage, let's believe for the impossible. Let's believe that when God shows up, the mountains actually do move. We're not talking about physical mountains, although you could talk about earthquakes, but we're talking about spiritual mountains. We're talking about obstacles that seem impassable. There is no way that that person on the other side of that mountain is coming to Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm moving the mountains. I'm moving the mountains. That's what you guys are going to hear in your head this week. That's what I want you to hear in your head this week. When you look at your friends, when you look at your circumstances, when you look at your neighbors, when you look at your teachers, you look at your professors, God's going to move the mountains. God's going to move the mountains. He's still moving mountains. I've seen him move. He moves the mountains. I believe he's going to do it again. I've seen it. Have you, you seen it? I believe it. I'm like, I'm like all charged up. I'm like feeling very Pentecostal at the moment. And the Holy Spirit is like totally speaking. And you guys are like, I think so. And so, okay, Angie's going to dance. What, <laughs> what are you doing? Okay. say it together. Let's do it. Yeah, let's just say it together. I believe. Thanks. You don't get this stuff in the big churches. No. 
<laughs> yeah, my, my security team would have had her down in 30 seconds. But it's so true, right? We, but we don't say this stuff. We don't go, I believe in this. I mean, we don't. But we're like, because uh, we're in an intellectual town. You know, I think this stuff. I believe is different than I think. So that's number one. Number one is that we have to believe for the impossible. Number two is we're going to have to start bearing some burdens as a church. We have to start bearing some burdens. As individuals, we have to start bearing burdens. Have you ever used a church, not used, ever heard a church use the word target before? You ever heard of been, been a part of those strategy meetings where they're like, oh, we're going to reach our neighborhoods and, you know, our target is this place. And, and I, I was in a meeting this week where we actually used that. I was meeting with uh, Sarah and Casey. And we were talking about how to use uh, the internet, the interwebs, the magical Facebook mystery land to actually reach out to people. And Sarah says, well, who's your target? And we all kind of squirmed in that moment. Even Sarah just like, oh, yuck. Because it sounds like we got, you know, we got our gospel guns out. And we're going to go shoot at people. You know, Jesus loves you. You know, like, yeah. Be healed. You know, it's like, it's creepy to say that, our target. But really what we're asking is, oh gosh, we're not spiritual headhunters. This is what I want to say here. We're not spiritual headhunters. We're not out here going, I'm just making friends so I can win them to Jesus. How creepy and predatory is that, Right? Here's a track. God loves you. Has a wonderful plan for your life. I hope to never see you again. You know, we're like running around. We're just trying to get people's butts out of hell and into heaven. And that's not what we're about. Jesus does love people. And he does have a wonderful plan for their life. And he does want to see it come to, and he is doing everything that he can in his amazing power to make that happen in people's lives. The big difference though, between a spiritual headhunter and what we're talking about is the heart of friendship. It's really one word, caring. We actually care what happens. Like our four friends here who actually cared about this paralyzed man, and they cared enough that they did something. He, they cared enough to see that his life was a wreck. We care enough to see that the hurt is real. We care enough to see that, that their distance is true, that it is is what it is. They can, we can see the brokenness in their lives. We care about that. And because we care, we do everything in our power to bring them to Jesus. It's not just because we want to rescue somebody out of hell and into heaven. It's not we don't want another notch in our gospel belts or a mark in our Bible someplace. I led 37 people this you know, afternoon to Jesus, and who knows what happened to those people. We really want to see our friends come to Jesus. And if we are going to do that, if we're going to love this world like Jesus loves this world, then we're going to have to bear a few burdens. We're going to have to lift a few mats. We're going to have to drag a few mats up ladders. We're going to have to dig through it to get our friends to Jesus. We're going to have to get our hands dirty, our fingernails blackened. We're going to have to face the germs, and not just the physical germs. We're going to have to face the sin germs, right? So many Christians are like, well, I can't hang out with them because they're going to make me a worse person. And Jesus is going, I just want to make them a better person. So maybe you need to be the influencer instead of letting them influence you. Maybe you need to step up and allow your faith to inform that relationship instead of their lack of faith. We have to carry our friends to Jesus. And I want to say this, sometimes it's going to take a very long time. We're going to have to carry a mat through the city for a very long time. And I know that some of you here this morning have been carrying mats until your hands went from 
just soft to blisters and blisters to calluses to blisters on your calluses to calluses on your blisters on your calluses. And it just, it's like, when is this going to end, Lord? How long? And I just want to put this dumb mat down. Nothing is happening. And you can't. Don't let go. Don't let go. Jesus is still forgiving. Jesus is still healing. Don't lose hope. Some of us have been rejected time and time again. We've asked, you want to come to church with me? No. You want to come to church with me? I'm doing something else. You want to come to church with me? I've got to wash my hair. You want to, you want to come to church with me? Um, I've got a Doctor Who marathon that I've got to watch. Do you want to come to church with me? You know, it got every excuse in the world. And you know, some of you are going, well, well, wait, I'll come watch the Doctor Who marathon with you. That's a good idea. That's a good reason to miss church. But you just keep asking and inviting people to church. You keep inviting them to small groups. You invite them to whatever, concerts, and every chance that you can because you know that where the people of God are, where the two or three are gathered together, they're Jesus. Jesus is, and you keep trying to bring them to Jesus, and they keep saying, no, don't stop asking. Don't give up hope, because Jesus is still healing people. Keep bearing the burden. Keep carrying that person. Keep loving that person. Keep inviting them to breakfast, even if they say the universe puts us where we're supposed to be. Keep, and keep, <laughs> it happened. That's, this is real. The struggle is real. Keep, keep, <laughs> keep inviting them to church. Someday they're going to run out of excuses. <laughs> Someday, someday you're going to get through that last layer of roof and you're going to drop them right in front of Jesus. Someday. Third thing is this. Oh, let me say this real fast. Don't hide that you're doing this either. Ask for us to help you. It took four guys to get the one to Jesus. Some, some of us have stories where it took whole communities of people to get us to Jesus. Whole lots of people to get us to Jesus. Whole lots of circumstances. Whole lots of cars breaking down to get us to Jesus. Whole lots of random acts of kindness that got us to Jesus. Don't give up, but don't do it alone. Ask for help. Tell yourself somebody today before you leave, hey, I, and I've been bearing this mat for a long time, dragging it by myself. Will you, will you bear this mat with me in prayer? Will you go before God with me on this one? Will you encourage me? Because I can't hold on much longer. Share that with somebody. Because there is power in numbers. Three, break barriers. When you think through your story, actually, when you think through this story, what we see is a lot of obstacles. We see a paralyzed man who can't walk and get himself to Jesus. We see a crowd of people who have blocked the way to Jesus. And we see a house that's too tall that's over Jesus. And we see a roof that is hard and thick that has to be torn apart to get to Jesus. It is full of obstacles and barriers. And what really strikes me about these four friends is they weren't daunted by the obstacles. They weren't like, oh, great. It's like Disneyland. The line's too long. I'll wait until the line thins out. I'm going to get a fast pass on this one, and I'm going to go ride the other ride, and I'll come back. You know, they're like, they're like, oh wait, there is no fast pass to this. There's only one way in, and we got to go over every obstacle. So we're going to drag the mats. We're going to climb the ladder. So we're going to tear the roof apart, and we're going to drop our friend right in Jesus's lap. Every obstacle was, was an excuse to press through to break through, not to go around or not to stop, not to quit, not to give up. It was convicting to me, really, to see them face each of these obstacles as they're carrying this burden. Because I am very much the Disneyland line guy. I hate lines. I don't like waiting around. I want things to be done now. I want my microwave to work because I want my potato in eight minutes instead of 
five hours that it takes to cook one of those suckers. I want my friends to come to Jesus today and become a part of the church, and I want to see the church grow and thrive and plant more churches and just this insane move of God. I want it now. But I got to work through these barriers. I can't stop. At what point do you stop asking? At what point do you stop inviting? At what point do you stop praying? At what point do you stop hoping or believing? Don't give up. Carry the mat. Push against the crowds. Get that ladder. Get the pickaxe and the shovel. Who cares how many layers of roofs on that thing? You guys got insurance, right? It's going to cover that. That's liability insurance right there. You know, homeowner's insurance. It'll cover the roof. Don't stop. Keep pressing through those barriers. Jesus is calling us to engage our world by believing for the impossible things. The people who are so far from God, who want nothing to do with God, who are completely disinterested in God, a university culture who is all about the knowledge and not about the heart, these things can change. And the clouds are breaking. The dark night is over. God's light is shining in you and through you. And it's time to go and be hope. Bear some burdens. Break some barriers. Tear down the walls. What's it going to look like? It's going to look like a bunch of Christians knowing their neighborhood. I gave a, a, a little map in your, your deal. I'm not going to talk about it very long. We're going to talk about this in the fall. But one person actually called this the map of shame, which I don't really want it to be the map of shame for you. But what this is, it's a little map. This is a physical map. It puts you right where, where every one of us wants to be, right? Right in the middle. It's all about us. And then all around it are these other houses. Now, this could be your neighborhood. It could be your university. It could be your workplace. It could be any sort of place. But who are the people that God has strategically put right around you? I mean, think about your house. On one side, we have our friend. And on the other side, we have this friend that we kind of know, and she's become a shut-in. And on the street across in front of us, we've got a whole passel of people who live in that, that house. And one of them has, has had to have surgery multiple times on his hands. He's got his grandkids that he has to take care of. They don't know Jesus. We've got, we got a violin teacher over here. Who do you know your neighbors? What can you tell me about the people that live right around you? Can you tell me about their spiritual need? Can you tell me their name? Can you pray for them by name? What this map is designed to do, and you can take some time to do this when you go home, is just maybe write in those people that God has literally, physically placed right next to you. Your cubicle mate. You know, you got your cubicle, there's their cubicle. Your office. You got your office, there's their office. Who are those people? Because you see them all the time. And maybe these are the people that you need to bear some burdens and break some barriers for. Can you name their burden? I want to challenge you to know them, but not just to know them, but to pray specifically for them. I just finished reading a biography by, of Henry Mueller this past week. This guy was insane. Anything that he thought that, that he needed, he would go, God, you know we need this? Thank you. And then he would turn around, and literally, there it was. So they had this huge orphanage with like 2,000 kids. One morning, he's sitting in his office. The cook comes in, and she says, that's it. We don't have any food for any of the 2,000 kids. They're all in the dining hall. What are you going to do? And he goes, just watch. So he walks into the dining room, and he tells all the kids to sit down. So they sit down, literally empty plates in front of them. They sit down, and they look at him, and he goes, dear Lord, for what we're about to receive, we give you thanks. Amen. He said amen, and you know what happened? There was a knock on the door. He goes to the door, and there's a man at the door with a pile of bread in his hand. He said, you know what? I just couldn't sleep last night. God kept saying these orphans were going to need this bread today. So I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning and made three, three batches of bread. Can you use it? And he's like, yeah. 
So he takes it in, he starts feeding the kids, and they're all eating this bread that he just gave thanks for that they didn't have 30 seconds ago. And then there's another knock at the door, because bread isn't enough, right? You shall not live by bread alone. And it's the milkman. He goes, you know what? My cart, the wagon wheel broke on the cart. This is in the 1800s. And he goes, and I got these huge jugs of milk in there. I can't fix it unless the milk's gone. Could you guys use it? Like, you know, free of charge, of course. 